Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Go Off Sis podcast, okay? Today, we're styling, profiling. It's called fashion. Look it up, okay? I'm so excited to get into this one. We have been waiting for this episode to talk fashion, unpack our relationship with style, fashion, self-expression, and really just as a community, as consumers, Because we have thoughts, and they are all fashionable. I think, you know, on this podcast a lot, we've talked about Hollywood, we've talked about media, but one of the things that we haven't talked about yet, and why I'm so excited to get into it today, is the reckoning that the fashion industry is facing, finally, since the rise of Black Lives Matter and protests around injustice in industries across the country. Fashion has really been one of them, right? That we've really put a microscope on and we're reevaluating that relationship with fashion, with style, with sustainability. And a lot of that is because we, Black women, are the blueprint for fashion, okay? We are, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times we don't get the credit for it. So today, we're going to give our flowers to us, the cultural originators of everything everyone is wearing right now. So first, I want to I pull up to the roundtable, though, and introduce ourselves before we get into it, because trust, honeys, we are getting into it. And I want to ask, as we intro ourselves, what is that maybe one fashion choice you look back on and laugh or, or maybe cry, maybe cry? Kathleen, how you doing? I'm good. Pastor Sanders with the word <laughs> off the top. I'm good. I'm Kathleen, senior editor here at Unbothered, coming at you as usual from the six. And okay, a fashion moment that I regret <laughs> is, okay, I love monochrome. I'm wearing like a head-to-toe yellow sweatsuit right now. But I was into that back in high school, but my color was lime green. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I, I, I don't know, but for whatever reason, I was wearing lime green head to toe. And now this is where the suburbs jump out. Uggs as well. <laughs> I'm oh, dying. The whole it, wasn't, fit. it wasn't a look without Uggs. Like, it just... <laughs> <laughs> I would do a scarf, a shirt, a pants, and the Uggs in all lime green. <laughs> you want hot? Girl, I live in Canada. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) In that lime green. Ooh, that's a choice. Okay. (laughs) All right, Maya. Well, let's hear from you. And why are you so hot? Where are you? Introduce yourself to the people. Hey, y'all. It's your girl, Maya, all the way from Florida. I'm your social media coordinator here at Unbothered. And my go-to was just the Hello Kitty aesthetic. Like, if it was Hello Kitty, I had it. From the bedazzled belt, the necklace, the t-shirt. Like, you couldn't tell me nothing about her. She was that girl. And don't dress her up in different outfits because I got that, too. So that was that was the good sis back in the day. I was like, Hello Kitty? <laughs> got that. <laughs> Hello Kitty is that girl. What? She was doing a little too much, you know? Vanessa, how about you? Hey, y'all. It's your girl, Vanessa, the social content strategist of Unbothered. And <laughs> I really regret this fashion trend because I don't know. I guess it's because it was affordable with my allowance that I barely actually made, to be honest. But <laughs> rainbow rhinestone belts, y'all. Oh. Those were it, though. Yeah, they were it back then. But when I look back at it, I'm saying to myself, girl, it didn't even match the outfit. You was Claire's girl, weren't you? You was all up in Claire's, weren't you? Yes, I was. I was. I was that girl that was like, oh, I need this. I need this headband to match. I need the colorful T-shirts. I was that girl that had the T-shirts in every color in my wardrobe. Yes, that's a trend that does not need to hit TikTok at all. Okay? Yeah. No. Wow. Okay. Well, I appreciate everyone's honesty here. I am Chelsea Sanders, your VP here at Unbothered. And, you know, my fashion choice, I didn't have a lot of choices. I, again, as I've said before, I'm a huge nerd. And I had a uniform at school and I went to an all-girls school. So I wasn't going anywhere on the weekends either. But I really thought it was cute. Like we had a skirt. And in the wintertime in LA, that's like when things dip below 62 degrees, we used to wear sweatpants under our skirt and Mm -hmm. we used to like color coordinate them. So it'd be like, okay, we had a blue day. We had a striped day. And I was like, oh, I'm still adhering to the uniform code, but I'm, you know, I'm making it fashionable. (laughs) Maya, your face right now. (laughs) 
Because I'm just like... I was working with I, what I had. Okay. <laughs> I mean, your athleisure was ahead of its time. You know, Girl. there you go. I you definitely vision. was pushing the limits. For yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> for I'm sure. Like, I appreciate that, though, because all of us, let's say, were making choices. Mm. And whether or not they panned out, they were choices and we made them. And I think that's honestly what I want to get into today. Like I said, I think I'm super hyped for this episode because we have not only some fashionable ladies in our midst, but some fashionable facts, okay, from these ladies, which we are going to be spitting for you. Because I think when we talk about trends and we talk about things that had a moment and maybe didn't, in a lot of ways, like our style sets those, right? And I think in a lot of ways, we as Black women are trendsetters, right? We're the ones who are at the top of every fashion moment, leaning into it, loving it, and then like, honestly putting our own spin on it. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And I want to talk a little bit about where your sense of style came from and why that for you was so important. Because I think, again, like when we talked about it, style is a form of self-expression, right? Like it doesn't come off. So Vanessa, also as our resident Capricorn, can you just take us through a little bit yes. of what for you that like sense of style and that sense of originality and, and having that in your life as a routine, what that meant for you? Ooh, where do I start? Honestly, <laughs> I have the most fashionable parents out there. I swear <laughs> I'm claiming it. I don't care because first I have my dad on one hand who is a shopaholic. Okay. He, we had a separate room in the house that was just for his clothes and shoes and just <laughs> accessories alone. Okay. okay, dad. <laughs> and then we had my mother who could just make anything that she put on look like a million bucks. And from seeing that from a little girl to an adult, like they taught me how to style myself. They taught me how to be confident in what I wear and just go out into the world as I am. Mm. My dad would actually sew some of my clothes when I was like four or five. So a lot of my baby pictures is outfits that he made exclusive. Okay, V had that exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom, it was just like, following her around or not really, but her taking me to like when she would get her hair done or when she would mm. get her nails done or when she was going to the store. I'm literally the mini version of my mother <laughs> because she was just putting me on to everything. And I was just like so amazed about like, oh my gosh, like we're in a nail salon and I'm like, well, why can't I get no real nail, po nail polish? Or she's getting her hair pressed and curled. And I'm like, mm. well, sis, I want the same thing you got. So definitely from a young age, just being immersed with my parents' routine on how they dressed themselves. My dad, he really taught me about fashion because we would go to the store and I would see something that's popular or trendy. And I'm like, I want this, dad. And he's like, no, like this material is not good. Like he was really putting me on at an early age and I didn't understand. I was like, this is in style. I want this, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay? But he was really teaching me about the dollar behind the clothes, I guess you can say, and just Ooh. how important it is to invest in what you're buying or what's good and what's not or what's going to last you in the long run and what's not. Like my dad, if y'all was to see his clothes, <laughs> are clothes from way before I was even born. Mm. And I love that because I think one of the things that you're also talking about is just making me think about is that like fashion in a lot of ways is different than style, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that is such an important lesson because we have style. <laughs> we have style and the people want it. <laughs> they want it. It they can't want be bought. It. You know, say it again, Vanessa. What? <laughs> it cannot be bought. It exactly. It's not for sale. No purchase. Hearing Vanessa talk and hearing you, Chelsea, say that, you know, we have style that cannot be bought. But it's also, we had to be presentable. I'm using air quotes for that. There was mm. a certain projection that was put on us, on Black women especially, to walk into workplaces and be put together mm. and look a certain way. So I think a little bit of like really caring about what we're wearing and how we're presenting ourselves to the world is part of having to navigate a world that was telling us what to do or telling us how to look. And then the other side of it was just us. It was just, this is how we express ourselves. And this is for nobody 
but us to look a certain way. And whether we press our hair or put our hair in a weave or wear a wig or whatever, that's nobody else's business but ours. So people who try to say, oh, you're trying to be a certain way Mm -hmm. when you wear this or wear that, they can miss me with that shit. But Mm -hmm. I do think that some of it, the fact that every single Black woman I know has a very distinct sense of style and cares about what they're wearing, whether it's, again, wearing sweatsuits every single day like I do, but you're never going to see me with a mismatched sweatsuit. <laughs> you know, like I, I think that so many of us tie our identities to our style and to how we express ourselves. And that is so much a part of our culture. And that is why it then becomes a commodity that people want, but they can't because they haven't lived their lives in our clothes and in our shoes and with this sense of style that we have. Mm. Ooh, I think that's such a great point, Kathleen. And I think like many things, when we're told no, we say, okay, we're just going to make it better without you. And Mm. that's what we did. And I think when you think about, again, stores, like you say, we have to be presentable and our bodies are different, right? Like our bodies don't always fit into that size two or whatever you think is on the runway. Sometimes they do, but the clothes aren't necessarily made for us and made with us Mm. in mind. And that's clear when you put them on. So when, Vanessa, you talk about your dad being like, nah, like, I'm gonna get some stuff from, like, the 70s and I'll show you how to wear it. Like, those are the types of things that we've had to do out of necessity because we've been closed out of the conversation and the fashion market, right? Like, we are not a part of that, I think, in a lot of ways. From what everybody has said, it really seems like style and fashion has formulated a sense of community. Mm, And I'm really glad all of you guys had the experience because my experience with fashion wasn't that, but I'm glad to see other Black women have had the experience with their parents or with their friends saying, this is how we connect. Because just like verbiage, clothes are communication. Mm. For me, fashion was a little bit different. I was a frumpy child, admittedly so. And for me, I've never been the person to let no be the last answer. You know, Mm. if I get a maybe, that's a yes. So (laughs) I was going to be cute regardless if I was frumpy or not. So I'm cutting up clothes. You know, I'm wearing calf boots in Florida. You couldn't tell me nothing. (laughs) Y'all was going to get this look because I had stayed up all night hand sewing. Y'all was going to get this look. okay? so for me, it was just kind of finding my own identity. And I feel like for me. It was a little, also a little bit different because just like you say, Vanessa, you were onto the trendy clothes and that's a form of communication. If you don't have the trendy clothes and people are looking you up and down, it's just like, you can't sit with us. And I'm like, but I don't want to sit with you. Mm. Ooh, <laughs> I got my own table. Look at the custom work. Get into it. Yeah, but you had that, Maya, like I, even at a young age, you were able to be like, because if there was a trend, I was wearing it or trying to wear it, even though my parents would never buy me anything designer or branded (laughs) when I was growing up. My parents came from a very poor upbringing. So even when Mm -hmm. they got money, they were like, we don't have money. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't buy me anything. And so when like cardigans were really in, I would literally take my sweaters and cut them down the middle. (laughs) I swear. And then that would, I would just wear it as a cardigan. I'd be like, see, guys, I know the trend. I'm cool. Yeah. I, I literally, was Kathleen was like, you are going to get this look. <laughs> exactly. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. No matter Kathleen. what. Kathleen, do you got some buttons, Mom? <laughs> I'm making a cardigan. You got some buttons in there? There, but I wouldn't even put buttons on it. I would just cut it down the middle and walk out the house. But I was trying so hard to fit in with everybody and like have the new thing or whatever. And so, I mean, I commend you that you were like, nah, I'm going to do me no matter what. Yeah. And that, that's for me. I know it's not a, a track for everybody, but just like I said, I probably would have been status quo if given the choice, but I really didn't have a choice. And I think a lot of what you're saying, Maya, is like fashion and style for you was a statement, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was a, a personal statement. But like you said, you were saying more about what you represented, what you were here for right. with your clothes. Yeah, that's very much that. For me, people like talking about trends. I like certain Jordans. I don't like all of them. But I grew up in a culture that was very sneakerhead heavy where it was like, if you don't have the new J's, 
who are you? Mm. And I'm like, I'm still me and I don't care because I very much don't want them. And it just made no sense that you were determining who I was and my value and my worth because I didn't subscribe to your fashion standards. I remember specifically when USPA or USPS and Polo had came out. And for me, I'm going to do some research. So I'm looking at the stores. I'm like, okay, this Polo over there, that's a good $50. USPS, that's $20. I'm about to get three or four of them. Mm. And I remember coming to school and somebody having a similar shirt as mine. And it just said Polo. And then mine said USPS and me getting clowned because mine was fake Polo. And then when I told them that Polo also owns this brand, it's just at a different price level, everybody's looking at me like, oh, yes, your, your clothes are made in the same factory. Your shirt could have easily said USPS if it went through a different line. So mm-hmm. you picking on me because I didn't pay $30 for the same shirt you got on? Who's really the laugh at? Mm. Ooh. Who's really Ooh. the joke at this point? <laughs> it's also, mm. oh, Maya, hearing you say that, I think of cultural appropriation and I think of the designers who mm-hmm. take black streetwear and put this price tag on it and then make it like this is now a status symbol when Mm -hmm. all you did was go to the street and take Black culture and call it your own. Mm -hmm. You know, to quote, bring it on, throw some blonde hair on it and say it's yours, right? (laughs) And and then it's supposed, that's supposed to mean something. And it does. It, It, like you go into these classrooms, you go into schools and kids are getting clowned, as Maya said, for not wearing that designer when really it was like, a $15 design or whatever made by a Black person that whoever stole. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, true. It's so true. And I it makes me think, like, I, I told you guys this, but someone described cultural appropriation to me as you are in a band and you show up to someone's house and they're wearing that band T-shirt and they try to tell you about that band and ask you if you've ever heard three of their songs. <laughs> and you're like, honey, I, I invented this. I, I invented this entire thing. And so to then see it, like, mimic back in a watered-down version for four times the price and we didn't even get any tax off of that. Exactly. The the math ain't math it. Mm -hmm. Because when we say, you know, when folks are pulling from our style and trying to make it their own or just frankly copy us, there is then that like underlying thing that like, do we not deserve luxury? Are you saying that we can't have our own things and have them be beautiful? Maya, even when you say like, oh, you got to cop the next X, right? You got to cop the next Jordans, the next Telfart bag, the next Hermes bag, like the next Birkin. Like that conversation even I'm thinking about last year with Cardi, right? Where Mm -hmm. she was buying up her own Birkin bags with her own money, which fine, that is not necessarily how my bank account works, but do you. (laughs) But then people were coming for her about it, right? And coming for her and saying like, no, you shouldn't be buying these when she is her own person and can do whatever she wants. But there is, I think, this concept that, like, Black and luxury can't sit in this. Exactly. That they don't sit in the same space. And why is that? Because they do. I was going to say something that you've actually touched on is making me think power. We don't recognize it. We don't recognize our own power. So the reason that people are skimming off of you and appropriating is because you're powerful. You said something was cool. It looks cool. It's really the trickle-up effect if you want to talk economics. It's the Black people have done it first, and it's trickling up to the white people who now see the Black people doing it. And now it's cool. It's rad. It's hip. It's the new thing. But when we get on the subject of Birkins, it's still a power dynamic, and it's power dynamic from both sides. So Black people see Birkins as a status symbol. You have a Birkin, you're a certain type of woman. You have a Birkin, you know, you had to be on a wait list to get a Birkin. It's Hermes. It's it's all these high-quality things. And her and Sweetie really put it on the map when she was like, if your man ain't buying you a Birkin, you know, don't be with him. And I really just feel like people weren't completely understanding what was the actual point. The point is that if he's not boosting you, whether it be a burger or not, cut and go. <laughs> That's it. If he's not helping you and vice versa, cut him out. But why do we have to equate having a Birkin to being that girl? Mm. Why can't I say I own a Fortune 500 company? I'm that girl. 
Why can't I say, you know, that building that you live in, that's your house. I own that building. You pay rent to me. Why can't I be that girl via, you know, via that sense? And when you don't have these symbols of wealth or whatever, people look down upon you, not knowing what's in your pockets. And I I don't agree with that. And I don't like that. Symbols of wealth come in different forms for different people. If you, you know, hood rich, like I like to say, then you're going to think Birkins and Mercedes and stuff like that is wealthy. But if it's somebody like me, I'm like, what's the stock portfolio look like? <laughs> and, you know, Vanessa, as our fashion major, I, w- I want you to hit up us with some facts on the Birkin bag too, right? Yes. And just let's talk yes. a little bit about what investing in a Birkin bag looks like. Because to your point, Maya, it's a long-term thing, right? We're not playing the short game. Exactly. Oh, yes, I would love to. Well, first, I want to say that when it comes to fashion, even I had to learn, and I didn't learn a lot until I got into college and I got into my major and I was learning about sustainability and I was learning about what goes behind these brands and how things are made. I didn't know all of that in high school. I was just like, oh, this costs a lot. This is a popular brand. This is a luxury brand. And this is popular. But a lot of people don't know facts. And fact is, Hermes, Birkenbags, Chanel's are the only two luxury houses where those bags increase in value over time. They don't decrease like a car, you know, like a car depreciates over time. No, no, no. Those bags add value. They only get more pricier with time as you own them. And a lot of people I've seen on social media just talking down about the fact, but it's like, do your research before you speak. I'm very big on that. (laughs) Research why these artists are investing in these bags and why this Mm -hmm. is such a hot topic. You know what I'm saying? Because they have that bag. It's sitting in their closet. It may see the light of day once or twice a year, but majority of the time it's collecting dust because it's gaining value over time. Maybe in five or 10 years, if they want to sell that bag because they're down bag, they can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, thank you for that history, Vanessa. Black women can do no right ever. Uh, either way. Ever, right? Either way, because as much as the bags are appreciating, right? Right. As soon as Cardi buys one, it's like, oh, she's depreciating the value. Yeah, that's exactly. what, that's when the anti-Blackness jumps out. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, if she has one, that bag can't be as valuable as it is. But it still is. And she's got money just like y'all got money. So it's fine. But then it's also on the other side of it. I do think that people project onto yes, Black celebrities, Ooh, especially absolutely. Black women, because we're supposed to be all things to all people. But mm. they're projecting all of these things about capitalism onto Cardi B. When she mm-hmm. buys her Birkin and is like putting it all out on social media, people want to say to Cardi, why aren't you putting that money back into your communities? Why are you subscribing to this system, capitalism, that disproportionately affects us and is a scam that oppresses Black people? Why are mm-hmm. you doing all that? When all of that is true, but that's not Cardi B's fault. And the system that needs to be dismantled is not going to be dismantled if Cardi doesn't buy her Birkin bag or if Cardi's wealth appreciates. That has nothing to do with her, but I think that people project onto her so much and project onto Black women and Black celebrities and try to police us and tell us what to do and all that. Not that I'm saying us like I got Cardi B money, but <laughs> <laughs> on us, the one percent. I think I think that that's what that's where that's coming from. Though mm-hmm. some of the backlash she got was a lot of people trying to be like, "Why can't you be anti-capitalist?" It's like, oh, I, you're really telling Cardi B to be anti-capitalist? Come on. That is such a good point, too, because you're right. Like, we can never do it right. <laughs> We're always doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And your problem is with capitalism, honey, which I, mean. <laughs> I, I am in line for questions around that, too. But it is not with Cardi B. It is with capitalism with a C. So, <laughs> sorry, mm-hmm. just dropping some quick bars here. But I think that is also, like, really important because we do have to examine that pipeline, right? We do have to think, like, all right, we all have our own personal responsibilities and no one is going to tell any of us what to do, where, or buy. But I think we all do need to recognize that in the same way that we're talking about, you know, maybe questioning capitalism, maybe we need to question the process of fashion, right? When Mm -hmm. we talk about things like fast fashion, right? When we talk about things like sustainability, like we don't need any more clothes. So (laughs) true. We really don't. don't. 
We really don't. And, and Fashion Nova is doing itself in mm. slowly but surely. Not you sending text messages talking about what the STEMI do. Maya. <laughs> you know, Maya, speak on you it. You in my black pocket? You in my black pocket again? <laughs> don't do that. And using my money against me when we are your top consumers, we are your brand ambassadors, mm. we are in your stores, we are your corporate ambassadors for free. Even by tweeting about Say this, that. we're giving you free promo. So Black Twitter, you need a white label agency because you are making sure all of those dollars are getting to Fashion Nova, but none of them are getting back to us. So when we talk about capitalism and we talk about that pipeline, I feel like we are, again, being left out of it, right? And we're being mm. really used in a way that is really hard to reckon with because we love style. We've established that. We know we got style. But how do we deal with that when, again, we don't need new clothes? Mm -hmm. The way that clothes are being made today are up for examination and should be. And shopping responsibly is something that we need to all be aware of. It's no longer like, oh, I don't know where to go. Like, we have to be personally responsible for our own footprint. So yeah. how do we do that and still keep our style and stay stylish? Oh, I mean, these are big questions that I've actually been thinking a lot about in the past year. I've had to unlearn and divest from the fast fashion industry. Mm. You know, I keep everything. I have stuff in my closet from like 15 years ago because my Jamaican mom raised me right. And so I'm a bit of a hoarder. I don't throw shit out. So I guess like when it comes to sustainability, that's how I justify it and convince myself mm -hmm. <laughs> to continue to buy things. Because I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not going to throw it out though. But no, I don't need any more clothes. Honestly, the pile of my closet is as tall as I am. And I was somebody who thought I needed a new outfit for every event I went to. Mm -hmm. And that I couldn't be seen wearing the same thing twice on Instagram. Mm. That's ridiculous. And so that in the past year, when we've been at home, been in the same stuff, not going out all the time, I've started to realize, okay, you can take that pressure off yourself and that's made up. That's not yeah. real. This idea that I need new clothes for everything or that buying a new outfit is going to make me feel better or even attaching some sort of joy to clothing, mm. that's ridiculous. But mm. that is very much what I thought and why I contributed so much to this like fast fashion industry that is killing the environment. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because, <laughs> oh, I'm laughing because this, you read me really, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was definitely the type that was like, I am bored. There's nothing to do. Let's spend some money. With I am done with class <laughs> while I'm in college. I live down the block from Newberry Street in Boston. I am going to all the stores on that whole strip. I do not care. And I'm spending my money. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I just, I don't know. I thought maybe it was fulfilling. And it wasn't until I, like, took a year off from school and I'm working retail. So, all right, I'm getting the knowledge in school, but now I'm working retail. And I'm saying to myself, oh, my God, I have all of these clothes for what? I'm not going out. I was mm. rarely ever the girl to go out. I just was like buying outfits, taking photos for Instagram, feeling cute or whatever. Because I guess growing up, even though my parents were fashionable, they were like, girl, you're not spending crazy money. Mm -hmm. My money that I earned that I worked for <laughs> just because you yeah. want some outfits. And I'm saying to myself, okay, I'm not making enough money retail and I know I need to get back into school and I want to get rid of these clothes. And so I started like just selling my clothes. I knew I only wore it maybe once or twice because I'm a fashion student. I know mm -hmm. how to take care of my clothes, even though where I was purchasing it from was fast fashion. I just I upkeep my stuff because, you know, I wanted to last. And that's what my parents taught me. But reselling my clothes on like apps and like Instagram has helped me even put more money back into my pockets where I'm not feeling too bad. No, and I feel like we also know how to save. Like, just ask the mm -hmm. hundred plastic bags under my kitchen yes. sink. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we know how to do that. And, like, I feel like each of us has had different ways, but we all know when, like, all right, like, I'm not spending that on this. I'm not spending that on that. But, ooh, that over there looked real cute. Yeah. I think one of the things that we also just need to do is, like, shift that mindset, which, yeah. again, is so much easier said than done. Mm. Like, you can buy your own stuff. You can pay your own bills. And 
And that was like a huge part of independence, like feeling independent for a lot of us. So like, how do we like still find that validation without having to like run up our credit cards on again, shit we don't need? For me, I think it's unlearning and being comfortable in yourself because once you become comfortable in yourself, the status of clothes doesn't matter. Mm. Like, come on. Why don't I just repurpose the sundress I already have? Because it's still going to be a hot girl summer regardless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we just have to get better and be more mindful. And like Benisa said, take the stigma out of secondhand shopping. Because I feel like it's okay to donate, but I don't think it's okay for people to shop. as Until as of late. As of late, it's been a really big trend where people will, you know go thrift shopping and kind of take those clothes and there's a big resale culture. I think that's kind of new. But before that, oh, you shop thrift. Oh, you shop secondhand. Oh, you must be poor. No, I'm sustainable. Thank me later when you're dying because you don't have oxygen. Like, people people really were not understanding it and people really will judge you. And then what is so comical is you'll ask me where I got my outfit from. Mm. Then when I tell you thrift, now you don't like it no more. So which is it? You like me or you don't? (laughs) Which is it, she says. (laughs) I love that you brought that up because in our community, hand-me-downs is the thing. Yeah. Okay? Mm. Like, there has been so many times in my life where I've gotten clothes from cousins, Mm -hmm. sisters, whoever, and a big bag, too. It's never little. It's hefty Mm -hmm. all the time. (laughs) And I'm sitting right next to my parents going through each, what do you want? Exactly. Let's try this on. Let's see if it works. And even, too, on the on the opposite side of me packing stuff I can't fit or I've never worn. Exactly. <laughs> and passing it down to my younger cousins and, and family members and stuff. So it's definitely a thing that has been a part of our community and how we get by as well that I'm so glad, too, that now I'm seeing a lot of people be comfortable with like, all right, I have a friend. We about to swap closets real mm-hmm. quick. Let's see what mm-hmm. we have. And Ooh. it's perfect because we're so used to that. Like, it was so normal in my life. I'm like, okay, this is the thing that we do. When I can't fit something and, and I've outgrown my clothes or I've never worn it, <laughs> I have to put a bag together and say, hey, cousin, here's for your little kitties and so forth. I'm glad you said that because I was looking, you know, I have TikTok mania. And we're talking about the futuristic price of a Birkin. Isn't that secondhand? Mm. Oh, drop some bars. I'm just like, isn't that secondhand? Because I know one of the Kardashians is currently selling their luxury bags. That was secondhand and you Ooh. felt like it was worth five grand. Ooh. Ooh. Bomb drop. So is it dependable upon who owned it and what brand it is? If you'll rebuy it or resell it? Is that the stipulation? So when it's somebody you don't know and you're at some random thrift shop, it's a no-go unless it's luxury thrift. But if it's a Kardashian or a celebrity, you'll buy it secondhand. So which is it? Make up your mind. What are the rules? Questions that need yes. answers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am so invigorated by this. I learned so much. With that, we have reached the end of our discussion and the favorite piece of this show called Don't At Me. For any newbies here, fashion friendlies, if you're just jumping in the building, Don't At Me is the point of our discussion where we tie a bow on this conversation. We give it a little edge, we give it a little oomph, and we just leave you with some of that queen energy we've been talking about all season. But in case you forgot, you cannot at us, okay? Nothing. Nunca. Non. Nine. No. Heart emoji. Okay. And if you have any thoughts, as my fave, the dearly departed Whitney Houston said, you call my machine and I'll call yours. For this week, we have young Maya on the mic, stepping up, spitting bars. Hit us with that don't at me. Hey, y'all. It's your fave in her most melodic voice coming at you with the shade in the most comfortable way. Please do not at me if you are trying to tell me that as a Black woman, I shouldn't have a luxury because at the end of the day, I should. I'm a Black woman. That's the end of the sentence. That's the tweet. That's the reason I deserve luxury and greatness. But guess what we as Black women are doing as the number one entrepreneurs in America right now, okay? We're getting that back. We're getting to multiple businesses, okay? So if I want to buy a Birkin, I'm going to buy a Birkin. If I want to buy Chanel... I'm going to very much do that. And if you come to my front doorstep and saying, that's a little bit too much, babe, 
I didn't even order you. Return to sender. Leave my doorstep. Go away. Evaporate. Thank you very much. On the sustainability tip, we got to do better, guys, because speaking of luxury, never heard fashion over and luxury in the same sentence. We have to leave that girl behind. Isn't she under a lawsuit? None of my business. Anyways, so to wrap it all up, and please do not add us, we have to do better on both realms. If we're going to be sustainable and luxurious, buy brands that appreciate so that when our counterparts that we may or may not claim come to us and want to resell, we can run that price up, making the bag and the check much more bigger. You know who it is. Oh, and don't at me. She said, aren't they under a lawsuit? (laughs) This season, we're powering our purpose, living our passions, and reminding ourselves that we are the queens we worship every day. From the tools we need to be our best selves to the energy we deserve to make those dreams a reality, we're Black Beyond Measure. Target is investing in the success of Black creators with their year-round platform and dedicated support. Head over to target.com slash blackbeyondmeasure to learn more about how to power opportunities for our success. Joining us today, we have the boss herself, Ade Samuel. Ade started as an intern and then a fashion assistant at WNT Vogue. And now today is a big boss entrepreneur, stylist, and we're going to put some respect on her name. Was recently named one of the top 25 most powerful stylists in Hollywood, okay? She has created a seat at the table for herself within the fashion industry and brought others along with her. Styled amazing women like Janae Aiko, Yara Shahidi, Kelly Rowland, Letitia Wright, and Kathleen's future ex-husband, Michael B. Jordan. Ade, we are so happy to have you on this podcast. Welcome to Go Off Sis. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And that was such an amazing intro. So thank you. Oh, yes. At, at the Go Off Sis podcast, first and foremost, we give our flowers. Okay. <laughs> so that's what we that. are going to do. And and you're someone who I think for us, we were super excited to talk about. We've been talking about fashion and we've been talking about what that looks like today, especially for young Black women who are having a, a shifting relationship with fashion. But before we sort of dive into that, we started this conversation on a fun note and we were sort of looking back and sharing, let's say, the fashion choice that we look back on and, and maybe laughed at, right? So <laughs> is there one that maybe you have that you look back on and like shake your head or, or cry a little bit? Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> You know, thinking about that question, I really had a crazy time during my college years. You know, I thought that I was a Spice Girl slash Rihanna slash, (laughs) you know, I was I was really eclectic. I had this bald head. So, you know, I think that was the time where I look back and I can't even look at those pictures on Facebook (laughs) because now I'm somewhere like, what was I thinking? Like, (laughs) you know, Um, so that would be the choices that I think. I can't even look on Facebook anymore, actually, to be honest, because of those choices. Well, I'm surprised because you have the cheekbones for that, like, Bali look. I'm I'm just saying. It didn't work? It it worked. But, you know, when you look back at things, you're like, what were you thinking? (laughs) Mm -hmm. At the time, it was very trendy. At the time, Rihanna had cut her hair. I was trying to follow suit. I I was blonde. I had black and white, black and blonde, black and all of these colors in my hair. But now I'm just a bit more conservative and, you know, in in my hair choices, at least. (laughs) So, but I will say it was so much fun exploring because college was the exploration time frame. College was the exploration, you know, your home away from your home with your parents. So I really had freedom. I wanted to play. And I thought that playing for me was being really sexy and enjoying my body and just having fun playing with clothes, playing with prints, playing with textures. And I still do it now. But I just think if you knew me back then, I had so many different hair choices that um, when I look back, you know, as much as I love some of them, some of them had to get private. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about our personal relationship with fashion and growing with style. And mine specifically was like similar to yours. It was a lot about self-expression. And I know you got some Nigerian heritage, so we know. Yeah. (laughs) So I have. Nigeria. I said, so we really (laughs) need to know the style inspirations. Who is giving you life? Yeah. So right now, you know, 
I will be honest and say a lot of my fashion editor friends are giving me life. You know, they're really like the Rajni Jacquez, you know, the Julia Sir Jamois. And I think I'm really inspired right now by a lot of more so models. You know, I think the models are doing a lot of things. Off, and maybe it's because I'm a fashion girl. So I look at what the models are doing off the runway. So Adut is giving me looks when she's off the runway. She, right? She's just such a good job. She's amazing. I think um, Imani Mon gives me looks when she's off the runway. She just is so beautiful and effortless. And I love that fashion that doesn't feel like you're trying too hard. Some influencers that I think, you know, are friends that have been like killing it overseas is like Tammy Otedola. She's giving me life right now. And I tell her all the time, she's just looking again, effortless and grown. And that's giving me life right now. And then I would say some of my styles, inspirations just for life and overall that I always go to are Rihanna, of course. Number one, I mean, it's funny that I say she inspired me in college and now she's inspiring me as an adult. And then I think of, you know, some of the Destiny's Child and, you know, Khalees and, and those people was really just giving me life. And they still give me life, to be honest, just because I just love how freeing they are when it comes to their choices. And I love that you mentioned Rihanna and Destiny's Child, right? Because I think one of the things that they both have in common is that they have just such a personal specific style you know like you know that like house of darion original when you see it oh my gosh i forgot to mention the queen solange mm, yes. too she's another inspiration mm. we can't talk about fashion without talking about Natalie. that one true so solange bow down to you another icon but yeah you're so right with what miss tina was able to do with destiny's child during that time was just phenomenal so ahead of the game you know and that's what's so beautiful about that yes and I, I think that's also like in all these folks that you mentioned who are just like melanated amazing women like that is clearly something that is really important for you and I think you know you've talked very particularly about who you work with right and because you want the industry to represent the world that we live in and using black designers and and buying black and that being a part of the whole ecosystem of style right so can you talk a little bit about that for you and why that is so important? It's important for a few reasons. You know, I really associate that to my upbringing. You know, I'm a girl from the Bronx, you know, from an immigrant household of parents that really moved over here to try to make a name for themselves and create a family that was going to be overachievers because, you know, Africans, they love for you to do the most, <laughs> but also just create a family of you know, achievers and people that was going to change and create legacy and in, in, um, for the family's name, right? So that's one element of the reason why it's so important for me to choose Black when I'm working with clients, designers, and, and so forth. And then another reason is, again, because of that contribution, I think about the reality of my friends and the people that I grew up with, right? You know, as much as I love everywhere that I came from and, and the magazines and the amazing, glamorous, luxury household names that I've been a part of, especially when it comes to designers, I like to be relatable. And I like to be able to talk to my friends about fashion that we can afford, but that's also cute and also, you know, conscious. So that's been an, an important element for me as well. And then to be honest, I'm Nigerian. I'm not just an, I don't want to say Black American and offend anyone, but you know, that's how we say it when we're of the culture, right? So I'm, I'm, I come from an African descent and I, and I really find that instead of looking at just Black fashion, I'm looking at global fashion, mm. you know, who exists in Africa, where are the new designers that, where are the black young designers in London? You know, I always tell my assistants, I'm like, think outside the box. It's not just about finding a designers that are black in America. Show me the designers that are black in Paris. Show me the designers that are black in Japan. You know, show me the designers that are black in Africa. And I really have always made that the most important standpoint of how I choose to work with people. And I remember so vividly working with my first client, Big Sean, and he was like, where did you get some of the designers that we were putting on him? You know, they've made a name for themselves today. And they had to remind me, you know, like, girl, you put us on Big Sean in 2012, 2013. And I'm like, because I was looking for you, you know, it wasn't a, a trend then. And I think that 
all of that mattered to me because I was looking for people that look like me. So, um, and that's, and that's the truth. <laughs> I mean, it speaks to so much, but one of the big things it speaks to is why having black stylists is so important. That part, that part. Right. But it's, so, I mean, it's all, Chelsea said this word earlier, but ecosystem, right? It is a part of Hollywood and fashion. Stylists are part of that. And Award season, I don't think that people realize how big award season is when we talk about showcasing stylists and designers. And we are in the middle of an award season in the middle of a pandemic where it looks very different right now. So I want you to talk about how red carpet fashion first has changed post-pandemic and then what still needs to happen behind the scenes so that we are seeing more Black representation during these events. Yeah, so I think the way it's changed is like everyone else's business where things are just digital and virtual now. I think, you know, they're trying to find the model of limiting seatings at these award shows or having presenters or people who are going to win attend to just limit the audience. But overall, when it comes to the red carpet fashions, I think that what you're seeing now is really a call out. You know, people are paying attention to what these artists and these celebrities and these Hollywood actresses and actors are wearing. And I think that that's important because I think that's the culture that needs to, that we're in. But I also think that that's a very important culture to stay in. We have to call it out and we have to be able to have open and honest conversations. I think another element is the reality of what you said earlier. And that's why that to me, I can go on so many different tangents about the importance of, especially, I mean, you know what? This is go off, sis. Uh-huh. Especially Black actors yep. and actresses. You know, I think it's important for them to remember the Black stylists and, you know, and talents, you know, and artists, I like to call stylists, hairstylists, makeup artists, we're artists, you know, that exist because we know how to think outside the box. We know how not to just play the game in the po- political way, but play it to help another person that looks like them and looks like us. And I think you're starting to see that happen a little bit. But I, to answer the question on how things could get better, that's a way for it to get better, for people to recognize and look at who's in their team. You know, I think that we've been doing a lot of call out to the corporate structures, but, and I don't want to say that people shouldn't choose who they want to work with. You have the freedom and the right to choose who you want to work with. But when there's a common factor of these artists and these actresses and the nominated talents being dressed by others, it just seems as though, it, it feels as though, do you see us, you know? And you can't preach that you want equality in the corporate structures or you want diversity with the Hollywood Foreign Press or with the Grammys and so forth, so on, but not look internally on who the people in your teams are that are bringing the people towards you and bringing the creatives in front of you, you know? And I think that that's something that it it just, I mean, as a Black stylist myself, I just find it so interesting and I really hope, and it's starting to change and shift a little bit, but I I really hope to see a bigger change within the next few years. Mm. Who are you employing? Who is on your team? That part is on your team, sis. Yeah. And pay attention to it because as much as you can say, oh, I want to go to these big agencies or I want to have this big publicist. Honey, some of those black publicists are doing their thing. They just need a you X, Y Mm -hmm. and Z that I choose not to name Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of them, you know, but they just need you. and, And with the amplification of that, I mean, look at what Queen Beyonce was able to do with Queen Yvette, Mm. you know, look at what Issa Rae is doing. You know, there's so many examples of amplification within your team that that exists. And I commend my clients that have chosen to work with me because I know that there's very few stylists like myself that are in Hollywood. But at the same time, there's so many looking for a way in. And, you know, that's my mission. And it's going to continue to be my mission to try to bring people in and not even a mission because it's not an assignment, but that's going to be a passion of mine, you know, and that is something that I really, truly enjoy doing is opening the door for people that look like myself. I think one of the things also that you're talking about is accountability, right? Personal accountability. And I think when you have people on your team that, you know, represent your culture, that's when, you know, things like 
cultural appropriation don't happen, right? When we have situations where mm-hmm. it's like, wait, where did you get that? What are you wearing? You're using- Well, unless you're Kenya Moore. I don't know what she's oh. thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> five ever though but just as an FYI we love you Portia <laughs> but I think like it's it's a really it's something that we need to just be more cognizant of because it's like who are you putting this in the hands of who's saying yes to this who's saying no to this who said you know what you should go outside with those bantu knots or you should go outside with those door knockers and your cornrows and that's maybe not your look right and I think having the people in the room who can represent for our culture with other black people who are of that culture and for that culture that that's when we are able to say like wait that's not right. This is. Yeah. You know, I often see so many people think that their way of celebrating Black designers or African designers or saying they're part of the movement is wearing dashiki fabrics or, you know, that African print that in, in real African tradition symbolizes a, a spiritual or a traditional fabric, you know, that you use either for weddings or you use for a ceremony or things like that. But because they don't have the knowledge of the person that is there because there's others that are dressing them, they think, okay, you said you want a Black designer or you want to feel Black today? Let me put you in this printed, mm. you know, daishiki fabric or and this kente cloth. And it's just like, there's so many modern African designers that exist that are creating silhouettes that are out of this world, you know, created using fabrics that are sustainable, you know, fabrics that come from the home, fabrics that are being weaved by local weavers that are, you know, being paid and able to feed their families in Africa. Like, what's the story? I'm glad she's saying it, though, because she she's giving a lot of insight because Ade, I don't think people who aren't in your position understand that there's a kind of naivete on power like you were saying some celebrities don't realize the power that they bring if they go with another black person what that can do for them just like you know somebody who is not on the same level says you know well I don't have the power to do these things so I need to reach up and the best thing I heard it was at Harlem Fashion Row like the last time we were yeah the last time we was really outside Somebody on the panel was mm-hmm. like, we so many times we try to reach up when we need to reach across. Yes. There's not a lot of reaching across um, in the community because everybody's trying to get to the top. But if you work with the creatives that are already on your, you know, your path, it'll be so much easier for you to ascend with other people. Because right. if I need a stylist, oh, I can call Ade. If I need, you know, makeup, I can call Keys. I can call this person, that person who are on my same level and we can come up together. But it's a singular, I feel like, sometimes mentality where I just want to get up and however I'm going to get up there, I'm just going to get up there. Right. No, that's so true. I mean, and I think also, you know, the first thing that came to mind is like, also reach out, but reach out with the same budgets that you're reaching mm, out with these others, okay. you know? And I think I think sometimes, you know, they think I just want to use a Black stylist when I want to be affordable mm-hmm. or when the prices aren't mm-hmm. high. And I think... That's another problem because then when you have a voice or you try to negotiate, you're often met with pushback. And I think those are things that I've experienced personally, especially being a Black stylist, female stylist in Hollywood, you know, an industry dominated by so many men and fashion dominated by so many men as well, you know, music, same thing. So I think when when us women have a voice and we say, hey, look, I don't think you should be working with, because I've had situations happen like that to me where, you know, I said, hey, I don't think you should be working with X, Y, and Z brand because they're not the right mm-hmm. fit for you. And the brand would go behind my back because, you know, they were friends of each other. They went to the same Ivy League school or know each other from the same, you know, whatever. Daddy's little golf course. And, <laughs> and, in real. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and the clients would come back to me and question my integrity behind it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm looking at you. I'm looking out for you because I actually know what Black Twitter mm-hmm. is saying about this brand. <laughs> I actually read what the Shade Room <laughs> is saying about this brand. I actually know what my cousins <laughs> and the people around our community think about this brand. I'm saving brand. you. I'm so, saving you, sweetie. Like, I'm <laughs> saving you from the scrutiny. And you're trying to listen to the person that is looking at the dollars, you know, and I think that sometimes that's where the imbalance happens within 
and for designers and within our community. So yeah, I just think it's so many people who probably experience the same things as me and 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 I hope that it will just change. I mean, that's all we can mm-hmm. hope for. Yes. I want to go back to the actual styling and I have mm-hmm. to ask you about styling my future ex-husband. Yeah. As Chelsea mentioned, Michael B. Jordan, <laughs> he never misses. He never misses oh, on a record. Right. But I know that it, at times that has been thanks to you. But it does seem like over the past few years, straight male celebrities are taking more risks with their fashion and that they're expressing themselves in a way that we have seen from women on red carpets. And they're not as afraid, it seems, to do that. Do yeah. you agree? Do you think that that shift is happening? And and why? So, most people remember my Louis Vuitton harness suit that I yes. put on Michael B. Jordan. That was I think about that it often. Viral. No one could understand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And no one could free. understand. Rent free lives rent free in her head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love I love that. And no, it was so interesting the response because you know there were people, fashion enthusiasts, who were like, "I see what you're doing," and I and I did it intentionally because I knew that for red carpets, especially Hollywood red carpets, they tend to lean towards tuxedo and black tie. You know, you have to wear a tuxedo, a satin lapel, you know, a white shirt and be boring and call it a day. And when I started working with Michael B. Jordan and even with Big Sean and, you know, Daniel Kaluuya and all the amazing guys that I was able to work with, it really was about how can I create a twist and turn in menswear fashion? How can I, you know, create a unique way and and allow people to think differently when it comes to suiting or when it comes to even the everyday wear. I put Kofi Cerebo in a floral suit for one of the award shows, you know, and that plum floral all the way, just I knew that it would bring something interesting to his silhouette, his mm. skin, and also... <laughs> the reaction. They you. all have it. <laughs> you put him in a trash Please bag, the man is going to me weep. <laughs> Thank you for appreciating <laughs> The Lord's work. Ooh. No, but I think it was, oh, again, just finding ways to be interested in menswear. And I, and I do notice a pattern that's happening, and I love it because I think that men should have fun as much as women are having fun. I mean, go for it. Why not, you know? Yes. And it it sounds like also a lot of what you're doing when you're styling is like you're making statements, right? You're setting trends and you're showing like, hey, no, like, let's think about this a little differently, right? And you're making that statement. And I think one of the things that you mentioned a couple of times was being conscious, right? Being sustainable. And I think that's another thing right now when we talk about the fashion industry and style that we all, you know, folks are making statements about, and rightfully so. So when you sort of think about being conscious, what does that look like for you when you're pulling together looks? And how do you do that? I think when I'm thinking about sustainability and being conscious with pulling, it's really about understanding the brand that I'm working with behind Mm. the scenes as much as in front, you know, what does their Instagram look like? What is the corporate structure looking like? What has they contributed? Who do they stand for? What is their messaging? All of that is really important to me in wanting to work with the designer. And when I find that designers are problematic, I lose interest, you know, and I make sure that my clients are aware of that. I also think another part of sustainability is not just the the designer's aspect of who are we putting on, but also sometimes it's as little as going into their closet and saying, look, you haven't worn this. Come on, you know, let's let's put this back on. Let me Mm-hmm. Let me mix and match. Let me make a look that you have in your closet work. And I've done that a lot with multiple clients because a lot of times they just don't know. You know, everyone, a lot of even my friends, sometimes you just don't know how to rework some of the things that you have. So reworking is a part of sustainability. And then again, working with conscious younger brands and Black designers that are thinking about how they're producing. You know, I think that's important. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> oh, yes. And I, I think, again, you, you've answered all of our questions and more. <laughs> you've styled so many great people, like we said earlier, Yara, Janae, and we know how their bags look. Their bag is big and their money <laughs> is long. And, you know, some of us on that come up tip, we just want to know what tips you can offer for those kind of working with a budget to capture our own, you know, show-stopping looks. Yeah, of course. I think that, 
it's so interesting because I love what's happening right now with the TikTok trend and the Instagram trend where people are going vintage shopping and reworking, you know, a vintage piece and maybe cutting a maxi dress and making it into a two piece, you know, bodysuit and skirt. You might not be that savvy in, you know, tailoring, but I think things like that is, is ways to be conscious about how to spend and look cool as well. And then also just going to certain stores that are not just luxury. There's so many brands that sit in that contemporary lane. You know, I'm wearing costs right now. And I think that there's so many brands that I can, you know, holler at you guys and give you that definitely sits in that under tear of under $500. It really is about just doing the research and, and, and having fun while you're doing it and not overthinking what you're going to wear. Also, again, it's about going back in that closet <laughs> mm-hmm. and looking at Kathleen. how you can rework because I promise you, <laughs> listen, Maya. I, I promise you, you have pieces in there that you can twist and turn, you know, and and make cool. You know, a, a blazer can now be maybe you cut it into a short sleeve blazer, and now you're wearing it for the summertime. A long maxi skirt, maybe you cut that and you make it into a mini. There's so many different ways to have fun and be inventive to reinvent your your pieces. And I think to answer your question, I, well, I hope that answers your question. Um, I think that's the best way to have fun with fashion and still be affordable. Mm. You hear that, Kathleen? You were <laughs> cutting cardigans early. You were ahead, I was of, ahead of the game. <laughs> See, that's amazing. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna. This is beautiful for Thank coming on, go off this and going off with us and keeping us honest, keeping Hollywood honest and making sure all of us look good doing it. Thank you so much for joining us. And you give so many, thank you for having me. You yes. guys give so many Black women and Black people voices and their flowers. I want to give you guys your flowers for having this podcast, creating this platform, being unapologetically Black and standing in our truth. And you guys, I just, I'm giving you all the flowers, all the love. Thank you for being such amazing inspirations to me and I'm sure other people around in the world. Like, you guys are queens and I am so supportive of everything that you do. So just let me know if you ever need anything. Okay? Oh, thank, thank you, you so much. much. Bye, girls. <laughs> the Go Offsys podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Rashad Isaac, Shirley Williams, Jordan Mason, and me, Chelsea Sanders. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Kathleen Newman-Bermang, Maya Carmichael, and Vanessa Coger. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram, at R29Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Money world.